0: Welcome to episode 550 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And tonight, it's a Josh Pollard solo show. Uh, Schedules were weird. It was just a a messed up week. So just me. uh, Maybe good news is that that typically means a shorter show for you. Of course, on the bad news side, you don't get all of uh, Richard's insight into things. And you're just going to have to wait another week to hear about what's been going on in Richard's Entertainment Center. We do, however, have some listener feedback this week. This was sent into our inbox at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And it was actually a a little bit of a conversation, a couple of messages here that we're just going to put together, Uh, both from Jose. All of it is about channels. So Uh, Jose wrote in and said, after seeing yet more ads pop up on my TiVo Bolt, I find myself considering switching to channels DVR, though there are some things that aren't quite clear to me about it. I heard Richard mention it a bit on the latest episode, so I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on a few things. One, I'll need an HD Home Run Prime, but since the Prime only has three tuners, I would need to get two in order to have the equivalent six tuners that I currently have on the TiVo Bolt. Do you know if Channels is able to manage multiple cable card devices at once? Jose, I do know. I, I did do a little bit of digging into the, uh, the the Channels support site, but they do support multiple HD home runs, as I suspected. Now, their, their support guide, which I'm going to link to, in the show notes doesn't specifically mention the prime but the infrastructure is all still the same so i have to imagine that if if channels works with multiple over the air tuners it's going to work with multiple cable card tuners also so i think you're going to be okay there his next question was assuming my provider frontier Cy, has everything coded as copy freely something i have to test What format does everything get recorded in? Am I able to do whatever I want with the files or are they encrypted by channels? Well, Jose, you're definitely going to want to find out about uh, whether or not Frontier is copy protecting things beforehand, if at all possible, because if Frontier is copy protecting things, then channels really isn't going to work for you channels doesn't have the ability to deal with the copy protection. So there's good news and there's bad news there, right? So they, they don't deal with copy protection at all. So that means that as long as you're getting the content in a, a, a mode that doesn't have that that DRM copy protection in place, you're not going to have to worry about it. on on either end, whether it's coming into channels or coming out of channels. Channels doesn't add their own layer of encryption over top of this stuff. They're just recording the stream for you. So you're gonna be able to do whatever you want with those files, assuming that your cable provider is not putting copy protection on things. And I'm not sure about Frontier at this point. I'm sure we've got other listeners who Uh, have Frontier and have some experience there. So if you're listening to this and you're a cable card customer with Frontier and you know the answer to that uh, for Jose, then please write in and let us know and we will share it with Jose. He also says, a feature listed on their site is integration with TV Anywhere, but it's unclear as to how it all works. Does that mean that I could rely solely on my TV Anywhere login? And not have to set up any tuners at all? We're gonna come back to this question because he wrote in more. Uh, so he he wrapped up the first message by saying, The biggest appeal about channels for me now is being able to access it through Android TV slash Chromecast with Google TV and never having to switch inputs. My wife hates switching inputs when she wants to stream on HBO Max or Showtime anytime. However, I have a lifetime subscription to my TiVo, so the idea of needing to pay a subscription going forward with channels is still a hang up for me. I'd love to hear how your transition from TiVo to channels went, or maybe is it more of a supplement rather than a replacement? So I I know Richard's got his own take on this, and honestly, when it comes to DVR systems, Richard's input is more useful than mine. We all know by now. Richard watches a lot more TV than I do. My experience, like for for you, Jose, I, I I do think that some of my experience here is a little bit more beneficial though, because I'm coming at this from from a perspective of an Android TV device is our primary watching device in our house. Like we use an Nvidia Shield, it is. Pretty much the only device that the rest of my family uses. And even me, when I'm watching TV, it's through the NVIDIA Shield. But it was TiVo for us. And part of the problem was, like you said, TiVo doesn't have everything. They don't have apps for everything. I'm still not sure if TiVo has a Disney Plus app yet, let alone Peacock, Discovery Plus, and all of these other streaming services that, that have come out recently. So the idea of being able to have one device, I mean, really, that's that's the dream that we've been focused on, specifically on this podcast, for 12 years now. <laughs> you know? So uh, I, I totally get you there. And that is one of the really, really great things about channels when you're using, well, frankly, either... Uh, an Android TV box or an Apple TV, because it's available on both platforms. Is you've got channels there for all of your DVR and and live TV usage, plus all of the apps for everything else. So, i I think that's been a pretty great experience. the The overall TV watching experience with channels is good you do get a traditional grid guide which a lot of people you know demand when it comes to having a DVR. So I mean is it every bit as perfect and and glorious as as TiVo? No, I mean TiVo's got some things still beat, uh, but for the most part it's got what you're looking for. So it it is worth worth looking into. Now Let's get into a second message and then dig in a little bit more on the TV Anywhere question. So he, he did do some more digging. He found an article on the channel site uh, that, that gives you some information about using TV everywhere with with channels. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes also if, if you're listening along and having a similar question. So Real quick, though, just to, to clear this up for anybody who doesn't remember, because it's been a couple of months since we talked about this functionality in channels. Maybe you're wondering what the heck is TV Everywhere? TV Everywhere is the service that you get with most of your paid TV providers. So if you're paying for cable, you can probably use your cable provider cr- credentials and log into all of the streaming services for all of those paid streaming channels that you get so CNN and and Fox Sports and ESPN and you know all of those other services that have their own channels that also have their own apps they require you to log in with credentials from your TV provider that whole service together is called TV everywhere so what channels you get uh, and and what streaming services you get through them is, in, is entirely dependent on the contracts that your paid TV provider uh, sets up for you. So if you've got ESPN on cable, you can probably use the ESPN app also. There are some exceptions, but by and large, if, if you've got the channel in your cable package, you can probably stream the app also. So then the question is okay how how does that play into channels well channels recently r- released functionality to allow you to log in to TV everywhere through channels and what happens is those those things show up in your guide so you know what's on the ESPN app and things like that and HGTV and those types of things they just show up inside of the channels guide and then you can record them. So it is similar to what we were talking about last week, where you could integrate play on with channels, but you can also watch this stuff live. The, the difference here uh, with b- between TV Everywhere and play on is that with play on, it's I'm going to go tell this thing to record It's going to record for however long it takes to actually watch that show, and then eventually it's going to show up in my library. With TV Everywhere, you've got access to it live whenever you want, just like regular TV, and if you want to record it, you can. Hopefully that helps to answer your questions, Jose, and for anybody else who's been wondering about the TV Everywhere functionality with channels. Uh, Richard has not set this up yet, so he doesn't have any experience really using it yet on his channel's setup. And I'm a cord cutter, so I don't really have any experience here either because I don't get a a TV Everywhere login being a cord cutter because I don't have cable. All right, well, thank you to Jose for the message. We look forward to Uh, reading and answering more questions from the rest of you later on. So let's get into the news. In the video news this week, some kind of interesting stories here. So uh, a lot of these were features that I kind of feel like came out of the middle of nowhere. So the first one up is a new feature from Netflix, and it's called Downloads for You and the the idea here's a pretty simple one if you've got a Netflix app on your mobile device say your android phone and you're one who likes to download netflix shows and movies to your phone so that you can watch them offline maybe you've got a commute maybe you're on airplanes a lot maybe you're just going on a trip and you want to have you know load up a bunch of content on a tablet for your kids to watch in the car now, there's lots of use cases for downloading content from Netflix and lots of other services uh, to to take with you on the go. So Netflix, they're rolling out a new feature where it it builds on that. So basically, you know, maybe you're about to go on a trip and you're like, I want to take some stuff to watch, but I don't even know what I really want to bring with me because I'm I'm not in the middle of of a series or something like that. Well, Netflix they know you right they've got their their algorithms down they know the type of content that you like to watch so with this downloads for you feature they will just automatically download shows and movies that they think you're going to like now if you're if you're <laughs> if you've got a lot of concerns here like well you're going to fill up my phone i won't have any storage space left video is gigantic don't worry you get to control how much storage uh, this this service consumes. You know, you can say it's only only use one gigabyte or, or three or, or five gigabytes of storage. And then it's just going to go out there and it's going to find, you know, movies is pretty easy. Find a couple of movies that they think you might like, download them. For TV shows, they're not just going to pick, you know, episode seven, season three of some show you've never watched. Nope, if it's a show you've never watched, they're going to download the first few episodes of the show so that you can watch those and then determine if you want to watch the rest. So, and then of course, they're only going to download it over Wi-Fi. They're not going to burn through your your mobile data cap. Like that would kind of defeat the whole purpose of of downloading for offline playback, right? It's for offline playback so that you're not burning through your your data cap. So, The feature sounds pretty smart. Uh, If you're interested, it's Android only right now, but they are working to bring it to iOS. What I'm curious about is, is this something you're interested in? I'm not one who downloads shows very much, and I think it's mostly because I don't travel all that often. So, and, And when I'm commuting for work, I'm driving myself, so I can't be watching shows while I'm driving a car. Anyway, so I'm just not one who does a lot of 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 downloading unless I have a trip that I'm going on, which is just not very often. And and right now it's it's never right. I mean, most of us haven't really traveled in a year. So I, so so the timing of this is a little bit weird, right? I mean, it's not nearly as as catastrophic as the launch of Quibi. Uh, right after the pandemic started, but but the timing is still kind of weird because I, I think a, a lot of people still aren't really doing much traveling, and a lot of people are now working from home. So even if you did used to take the train or the subway to work, well, are you still doing that, or are you working from your kitchen table? And now you don't have that that commute to to watch things on anyway. So. Uh I'm curious if you're a frequent downloader of of this type of content do you like this idea? Uh I I would imagine that this is this is really geared more towards uh the people who who have started using the the shuffle functionality on Netflix, you know, you're not really sure what you want to watch, so you just want to let Netflix pick something for you. And I suppose if you're traveling They've got a captive audience anyway, right? <laughs> you know, you don't have to be uh, paralyzed by the the mountain of choices that you get with a service like Netflix. So I, I think there's some benefits here. I don't think it's something I'm gonna be using, but I'm very curious to hear what the rest of you think about the Netflix downloads for you. Next up is one that I I immediately thought of, Richard, as soon as I saw this news come in. Plex is starting to test uh, integrating the Plex service with Apple's Apple TV app. So the Apple TV app on, on Apple TV devices is the app that's similar to to all of the greatness that we've been talking about with the new Chromecast of late, where it integrates with a lot of other services, except for Netflix, uh, to keep track of what you've been watching, serve up recommendations, uh, tell you what's up next in a particular show you've been watching. And and it's kind of service agnostic because it, it works with lots of services. And apparently... Plex is working on testing, uh, having their service also work with Apple TV. That sounds great, especially the up next functionality. The problem is we've got so many questions. We know almost nothing about this. Like it, it was basically just something that that someone found by accident. So the the biggest question is: Will the the Apple TV app be integrating with? your traditional Plex library? So all of the shows and movies that that you've ripped? Or is this integration only going to work with the ad-supported streaming service that Plex also offers? Because if that's the case, this isn't anywhere near as interesting. Unfortunately, it could be a little while before we get any more real details about it. But it is is a really interesting uh, idea. And frankly, is one that I wonder if it would sway Richard back more towards Plex and kind of away from channels. But I think Richard is still primarily using Plex for his his ripped content and channels for any of his TV content. So maybe he doesn't really need to, to move back to Plex. Maybe he's still using it a lot, just not as a DVR. This next story is about The greatest segue this podcast has ever had in 550 episodes. We're going to move from talking about Apple TV to eventually talking about Google's YouTube TV. And how are we going to do that? By talking about Apple TV Plus coming to Google TV. Yep, it's finally here. We've seen Apple TV rolling out across so many different devices. And it only made sense to eventually land on Google's streaming devices. So right now it's available on Google TV with Chromecast devices. And that means that if you've got one of those new $50 Chromecast devices, you can watch Apple TV Plus originals like Ted Lasso, uh, You know, the show that it, it seems like saved so many people throughout the pandemic uh, and and over the last few months of, of 2020. It also means that you can use Google Assistant to control all of that. So you can use your Google Assistant speakers to tell your Chromecast that you want to watch Ted Lasso, and it'll do all of the magic for you on your Chromecast device. Now, if you're wondering, what about me? I've got a Google TV TV, like from TCL, or I've got another Android TV device. Am I going to get this? The answer is yes, just not yet. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer. They haven't given an actual date. They're just saying later this year. I would imagine you're probably not going to have to wait very long, though. And that nicely transitions us right into YouTube TV. They announced this week that they're going to be adding a new Essentially an add-on pack for YouTube TV that's gonna add a couple of nice features. The first one, and I think the biggest and most important one, is 4K streaming. And while I I think it is important because we all want more 4K in our lives, it's it kind of goes back and forth, right? Because there's still not really that much 4K content out there. You know, last year you could watch the Super Bowl in 4K, but there weren't really any other NFL games that were available in 4K. Most of the stuff that you're watching from your your traditional networks, your, you know, your ABC, CBS, those types of channels, they're not in 4K. Most of the stuff that you're getting from ESPN, CNN, Fox News, HGTV, none of that is in 4K. So, uh, I don't know how much content YouTube TV is going to have to give you in 4K but the fact that they'll have the infrastructure ready uh is nice and you know normally when we see this type of thing it includes like a channel that is specifically focused on 4k content think typically things like nature documentaries stuff like that but there is some stuff out there because we know of another service that does some 4k streaming and that's fubo tv they're they're a service similar to YouTube TV, but largely focused on on the sports segment. And they do have some 4K broadcast, especially soccer. Um, I think that tends to be more of the like European soccer leagues and, and things like that. I'm not entirely sure. But Fubo has some 4K streaming, so you could easily see uh, the stuff that they're broadcasting in 4K that anything that YouTube TV also has the rights for, that they would also be streaming it in 4K. Another feature in this add-on pack uh, will be the ability to download recordings for offline playback. So if you're using the YouTube TV DVR to record things, you'll be able to download those uh, to your phone or your tablet for offline viewing, similar to what we were talking about with with Netflix earlier. This is cool. Not a lot of other services do this, I don't think. I I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I don't think Hulu and Sling and and those other providers are allowing you to download those recordings. Now, some things do, like with TiVo, you can download your recordings to to a mobile device, but I don't think there are very many of these uh, streaming providers that are allowing you to do that. The last benefit to this add-on pack is that they're going to increase the number of concurrent streams you can have uh, on your account up from three, but we don't know how many. (laughs) It's probably not going to be some ludicrous number. uh, And even if it was, what kind of crazy internet connection would you have to have to support like eight concurrent streams on your YouTube account? I don't know. That'd be kind of nuts. The only real downsides here is we don't know how much this add-on pack is going to cost or when it's going to be available. All we know is later this year. So how much would you be willing to pay for this? Is this a $10 a month add-on? That that feels about right to me. You know, you're not going to have that much 4K content. Uh, offline downloading isn't that big of a deal for most people, I don't think. Uh, and 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 increasing the, the number of concurrent streams is not usually uh, something that I think generally gets a lot of people willing to pay uh, extra for. So moving on to our only audio news of the week, and that's from my favorite audio service, Spotify. I don't like using the word finally when, when talking about news stories, but this one is worth it. Spotify is finally preparing to launch a lossless, higher quality audio streaming service. Now, Spotify is no slouch. You know, if you're a paying subscriber, you can get up to 320 kilobits per second uh, audio quality from Spotify. And to my ears, it sounds pretty good most of the time. But there, there are competing services out there that offer higher quality. And so Spotify is working to bring that also. They're calling it lossless. They're calling it CD quality audio. And that is pretty much everything that we actually know about this service at this point, Uh, other than the fact that it's called Spotify HiFi, H-I-F-I. We don't know the price. We don't know what markets it will be available in. They're just saying it will be in limited Markets—that's to be expected. Music licensing is complicated, but the price matters. You know, right now, a Spotify premium subscription is ten bucks a month. Title, one of their biggest competitors in the in the lossless space, I would say, is twenty dollars a month. Amazon Music HD is the other big competitor here. Their service is the regular price is fifteen dollars a month. Unless you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, then it's thirteen dollars a month. Apple, they don't even have a lossless audio subscription. So what's Spotify going to charge here? I'm really not sure. I I hope that it's more in line with what Amazon is doing than what Tidal is doing. But the other big question then becomes, what about for the family subscriptions? You know, a, a family subscription gets you access to, I think it's five accounts on Spotify. It could be six. And you pay $15 a month in total across all of those accounts. So what would a Spotify Hi-Fi family subscription cost? Could you do uh, a Spotify family subscription where only one or two of the accounts had Hi-Fi? I can tell you that no one else in my family is going to care about Hi-Fi, but I'm interested somewhat. But I'm not interested if it doubles the price. You know, if we're talking $20 a month for, for premium or, you know, $30 or more per month to have Hi-Fi on a family plan, I'm not signing up for that. I'm okay with with the current audio quality of Spotify. But if if it would bump my family subscription to 20 bucks a month, yeah, I might do that. I, I might at least try it. So I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for this. I, I do absolutely want to try it, and I'll be very curious to see what what they do end up pricing this at, because that's that's going to be such a big deal. And in our gaming segment tonight, we're going green and blue, Xbox and PlayStation tonight, and we're gonna go blue first. Team PlayStation gets to go first this week. The folks over at Sony have announced a new VR headset. You could think of it as the PlayStation VR 2, but they're not calling it that. At least they're not calling it that yet. They haven't given us the actual name. They've just uh, had an announcement this week to basically say, yeah, we're working on, on a new VR headset. It'll be great, we promise. It'll have better resolution. It'll have better field of view. It'll have new controllers, so they won't be using the Move wands anymore and the new controllers will be more ergonomic they will have some of the features that are present in the dual sense controllers that's the the regular game controller with the PlayStation 5 it'll also only require one wire the the PlayStation VR was a mess of wires to hook that thing up this one it's only one wireless would be better But it's harder, and it's harder to do well, and it's harder to do to do it well at a low cost. Which, when you're talking about VR for a game console, the cost needs to be a little bit more reasonable. Uh, On PC, you can get away with charging eight hundred dollars for a VR headset. But when the game console, the PlayStation Five itself, only cost five hundred bucks, you can't make the VR headset be be even more expensive than that. So the the only other thing we really know is when we're not getting it, and that's this year. It's not coming out in 2021. I don't think that's really surprising, especially considering they're just now starting to ship dev kits. So game developers will need more time you know, to actually use this thing before they can make really great games to take full advantage of it. So my guess would be Holiday 2022, that would be two years after the launch of the PlayStation 5, that would be an excellent time to launch this. Now switching to Team Green and the Xbox side of things, Microsoft announced their FPS Boost feature for the Series X and Series S consoles. What's FPS Boost? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with first-person shooters. Believe it or not, I've seen actual gaming media outlets refer to this as something for first-person shooters. No, it's frames per second. It's your frame rate boost. And what this technology is, is they can apply this to backwards compatible titles. So we're talking uh, primarily Xbox One, but they could, uh, in theory, apply this to to Xbox 360 games also, and what it does is just boost the frame rate of the game. So uh, in some cases they can double it, in some cases they can quadruple it. And to to start, they're rolling out this functionality with five games. Far Cry 4, New Super Lucky's Tale, Sniper Elite 4, UFC 4, and Watch Dogs 2. Super Lucky's Tale uh that one is getting boosted all the way to 120 frames per second. UFC 4 is going to run at a rock solid 60. I think that's probably what we're going to be seeing for most of these other games. Also, you know, a lot of Xbox 1 games uh unless they were really really focused on frame rate were more in the 30 frames per second, so to see some of these games at a solid 60 or some of them going all the way to 120. That'll be really, really awesome to see. If you don't want to see it, though, I, I'm not sure why, but if you really don't like this feature, you can turn it off. This is a Microsoft console, after all. Everything is configurable. So you can turn this feature off if you don't like it. Perhaps the best news about this feature, though, is that the game developers don't have to do anything to enable this. It's just Microsoft. They're the ones who go in and make some changes in the in the game itself and then they ship out a small patch and blamo the game runs at a higher higher frame rate that's pretty great and that's going to mean that we're going to see this functionality in a lot more games because for if it came down to the developers doing it there's not really very much incentive for them to go in and and do a a feature enhancement like this on a three or four year old game, like they're not going to see any return on that investment of of time and effort and resources. So, I I think that if it did require those game developers to do things, we would hardly see any games take, get to take advantage of this functionality. But since since Microsoft can somehow just do it for them, I think we're going to see this rolled out on lots of games. You know, we've got five right now, but we might see five games every month. Who knows? It could be, I, I think we're going to see waves. I think it's going to be very similar to wait to the way backwards compatibility rolled out where every month there would just be a new announcement of here's a dozen games being added to backwards compatibility. And, and some months it's only a few and some months it's a ton. And I think it's largely going to depend on how many people are using the service, what kind of feedback they're getting for it, uh, as, as to how much Microsoft is going to devote their time and resources into it. But I think this is, this is win-win for everybody, for the gamer, for the, for the game development studios, uh, and for Microsoft. It's, this is just a big, big win. So a cool feature kind of a weird list of games to roll this out uh, with. I mean, how many people are getting super excited about New Super Lucky's Tale at a higher frame rate? Eh, Probably not that many. But for a game like Watch Dogs 2, Far Cry 4, where they're big open world games that do tend to struggle with frame rate, it's kind of a big deal. Well, that's it for our news this week. So heading into what's going on in our entertainment centers, I'm kind of boring this week, everybody. Sorry, it's really just more of the same for me. A little bit of NHL, a little bit of Call of Duty, a little bit of Wasteland Three. In terms of the games that I've been playing, well, that's not entirely true. There, there is one other one. I did decide to pick up Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age. This is a basically a a sort of a remake, really more of a remaster of the PlayStation Two. Final Fantasy 12 game that came out in, it was probably 2004 or five. I'd been interested in checking this out just because Final Fantasy 12 was actually the first Final Fantasy that I had ever played. And I played a lot of it. I think the only reason I stopped is that I got sucked into, it was probably a shooter, if I'm being honest. And then I just never went back to it. So uh, it the the remaster has been available for a year or two on some other systems. I know it was on Switch and it was on PlayStation 4. Then it did come to Xbox and it's been on Xbox Game Pass. So I thought, well, now's the perfect time. Let's give Final Fantasy 12 a shot. And you know what? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, everything that I liked about that game back then, it's still there. Uh, I, I enjoy the combat, uh, like everything about it. that that I liked back then is still there. The problem is that role-playing games have changed a lot in the last 15 years, and there are some important things that have developed along along that time, like keeping track of what quest you need to complete next. There's none of that in this game. And you might be thinking, so what? Like, you just got told, go and do this thing, so go and do the thing. Well, the problem is that I don't play these games every single day, so if I go a week without playing, I might not remember what I have to do next. And maybe this sounds lazy, but I don't want to like write all this stuff down while I'm playing. And I also don't really want to have to follow a a guide or or a walkthrough. Like I want to just play the game. But I'm a hundred percent positive that I would not be able to do that in this case, be, at least not in the way that I would want to, a, a way that I would find it enjoyable. So, while I, I think Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age is cool and and it's got some nice uh, improvements in quality of life things, it doesn't have enough of them uh, to to keep me playing it. So I, I think I'm going to put this away and and just. Keep Final Fantasy twelve as, as something that will just live fondly on in my memories. In terms of books, I am still working on the Final Dark Tower book by Stephen King. I think I'm probably a third of the way through that. Uh, it's been very interesting. Uh, it's, it's yeah, I mean, that whole series has been good. Uh, watched a little bit of hockey, and uh, we have been keeping up with Wandavision, so we are all caught up on on WandaVision and what's going on there. And I'm intrigued by the story. Obviously, it's getting a little bit more Marvel Cinematic Universe type things and, and really digging more into its comic book roots. And uh, I've got a little bit of a comic background in me, but not these characters. So uh, the the characters that they're introducing, I know they're in the comics, but uh, I, I'm googling them just like many of you are. So, um, and, and I don't need to say any, any specifics that might spoil anything. But I just I don't know much about these characters. Uh, everything that I know about Wanda, you know, Scarlet Witch and, and Vision, uh, I learned by watching the Avengers movies, like so many of the rest of you. So I am just along for the ride, like like so many others here. I am not going to be able to offer up any guesses as to what other characters are going to make sense to appear or future plot lines. I'm very curious to see where this is going. I think there's only one or two episodes left this season, so I, I'm i not sure how they wrap this up, especially in a way that enables them to keep doing more seasons. Uh, yeah, that that's probably... Uh, enough said uh, so that we don't get into any sort of spoiler territory. So that's it for what I've been watching and playing and reading. And that's it for the show. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at Digimediazone. We're in other places too, other social media uh, outlets. So Head on over to the show notes at thedigitalmediazone.com to find links uh, to all of that, all of our contact information, plus all of the links to the stories that we talked about on this specific episode of the podcast. While you're there, you're also going to be able to catch up on Richard's other show. It's called Home On, uh, where he's covering the latest home automation technology from the DIY perspective. That's going to do it for episode 550. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.